Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. This is Katie. I'm your host, and I'm here with Marcus. Hey, Marcus. hey guys, I'm back again. How's it going? It's going good. You know, just staying inside as much as I can, trying to finish school out these last two weeks. That's pretty much it. Have you been doing staying on task, not coming to class, and just having everything online? Um, it's not too bad because a lot of the stuff is pre-recorded, so mm-hmm. I'll just knock it all out in the morning. But then there are definitely some days where I don't want to do any schoolwork. I'd rather just sit around or go outside, play with the dog or anything but study. Yeah, I think people are having a lot of time with problem with time management. Yeah, because um, I'll say like, I'll put it off and then I realize that it's like nine o'clock and I haven't done anything. So Yeah, time goes by really fast when you have nothing to do. It really does. I don't get it. Um, all right, so today we're doing a Zoom chat, which hopefully turns out well because I've never podcasted on Zoom, only Skype. So we'll see how it goes. Fingers um, crossed. Fingers, yeah, fingers crossed that this is working. <laughs> all right, so today we're going to talk about kind of just overall recommendations for keeping you your immune system healthy. And I haven't really talked much about I've done just a, like little snippets of things for COVID. Um, but this I would say is going to be our most COVID focused mm-hmm. episode, but it's not information that's just helpful because of the COVID pandemic. It will also be helpful subsequently with influenza season and just keeping you healthy overall. Yeah. So we're just going to go through some different strategies that you can utilize and tools that um, can help you to stay healthy and keep your immune system healthy. Um, So I think we'll start out with the most obvious one, which is something that we always talk about, which is healthy eating and like vitamins and eating a, getting a lot of large variety of color in your diet to help make sure that you're getting lots of vitamins. So There are specific vitamins that have been found to aid in increasing immunity. So there's an article that I read that's called Contribution of Selected Vitamins and Trace Elements on Immune Function. So it basically goes into a lot of immunologic detail about how each of these different vitamins and trace elements help to support your immune system. And we're just going to give you like a little bit of an overview of some of what is in there. So... The vitamins that were specifically mentioned in the article, so vitamin B vitamins, we have B6, B9, which is folate, and B12, cyanocobalamin, and then C, A, D, and E. So those are the vitamins that they specifically mentioned. And overall, all of those vitamins are the vitamins that help your body to have an effective immune response and to counteract infection. And of course, it goes into a lot of detail about how each of those do that. Um, But I think the important thing to just note is overall, those are the vitamins that you should be focusing on. So vitamins B6 and folate are going to be found in a lot of your enriched grains. Um, So if you're having like wheat or barley or any cereals, they fortify those with B6 and B9 or folate. So you can get a lot of foods or a lot of those vitamins from those food sources. Vitamin B12, as you may know, is something that you 
get from animal products. It's created in the guts of animals. And if you, so if you don't eat any meat, you should be supplementing with B12. Um, but also, even if you do eat meat, you likely need to supplement with B12 just because of the processes that we use um, to clean meat after it is animals are slaughtered, it gets rid of a lot of that. So B12 is a good thing to supplement. Vitamin A is a fat-soluble vitamin, so really found in nuts. Egg yolks have a lot of vitamin A, so you can get your vitamin A from there. Vitamin D obviously comes from sunlight, and we'll talk more about vitamin D as its own with sunlight as its own recommendation. And then vitamin E is another fat-soluble vitamin that you can get from like meat. It's in liver and also in mushrooms. You can find vitamin E. So. Oh, I, did I skip? Did I say vitamin C? Vitamin C. So we'll yeah, go into like vitamin. That's like the most important. Or yeah, we'll go into vitamin C as its own thing. So vitamin C okay. is a potent antioxidant, and vitamin C is the easiest vitamin to get if you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables because it's in every colorful vegetable. So obviously, we think of citrus with your oranges and all of that with your vitamin C. It's in bell peppers. It's in every single vegetable that you eat. So as long as you're eating a lot of colorful vegetables, you're getting a lot of vitamin C. And so vitamin C might be one that you may want to focus on trying to increase um, because it has antioxidizing properties. So what that means is when your body is under a situation of stress, so if you're just feeling stressed or if you're sick and you're stressed for that reason, um, it increases the production of reactive oxygen species or ROS, and those increase cellular damage. So it has an additional oxygen that's attached and it can create cellular damage. And what the antioxidants do is they can bind and eliminate that additional oxygen so that your tissue damage doesn't occur. One thing I did want to say about vitamin C is if you have an autoimmune disease, you may want to check with your doctor before supplementing with vitamin C. You can always increase vitamin C through your diet. But if you're going to take any supplements, like in pill form, just check with your provider if you do have an autoimmune disease. Yeah. And I think the best way to get any of these supplements um, would be first, like find out what foods are pretty dense in micronutrients and try to eat those first. And then if you still need a supplement on top of that, Right. You could go with that. And that kind of transitions us over into our trace elements like selenium, zinc, copper, and iron. And you can find those in a lot of different nuts and seeds. Like I know Brazil nuts have a lot of selenium. Cashews and pumpkin seeds have a lot of zinc and copper. And then I think sunflower seeds have a lot of iron. So you can get it all from any plant-based source. And then you can get iron from red meat as well. And I think maybe zinc, but there's a a ton of food that has um, all of these uh, different trace elements in them, but definitely the nuts and seeds have the highest amount. And then one thing to limit, and same thing that you want to limit all the time. So fats, so diets high in fat have been shown to promote a less diverse microbiome. So your microbiome, as you hopefully know, is all the bugs that live in your gut and may modulate 70% of your immune system. So you want to have a very diverse microbiome. And if you're eating diets that are high in fat, um, you are going to have a less diverse microbiome. And the microbes that are present are actually microbes that are less associated with health and longevity and more associated with obesity and inflammation in a high fat diet. So trying to limit your fats 
And then when you, the fats that you do choose, remember you want to choose your polyunsaturated fats. So getting them from the nuts and the seeds, like Marcus just talked about, avocado um, are going to be better choices than doing a lot of refined oils or fried foods, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then, and um, oh, there was just one thing that I was reading earlier. It was like a, a post about longevity, and it was say, saying that you should avoid just white food in general. Mm-hmm. because that's like a good rule of thumb um, to include more colors in your diet. So if you swap out like a white potato for a sweet potato, there's nothing wrong with the white potato, but um, sweet potatoes have a little bit more vitamin A in them. Beta-carotene. Like yeah, beta-carotene help your eyes out a lot. Just like white stuff in general is most of the time processed, like white flour, white sugar, yes. fried food is usually coated in flour. So like all of those things kind of contribute to that more processed diet. Processed foods, we just said, and then sugar. Also, limiting or eliminating sugar as much as you can. So I think the main takeaway for that is, you know, a lot of the times we're trying to think about what supplements we should buy. And even working in the pharmacy, a lot of these supplements are sold out. We have big signs on the shelves that say limit one per customer due to high demand. People are trying to mm-hmm. buy all of these supplements and just take a pill. But the best yeah. thing that you can do for your body is just to get them from your diet. Mm-hmm. And then when you get it from your diet, you also get the fiber on that side and that can help with satiety and mm-hmm. regularity and all of the things that we've talked about on podcasts before. Right. And one of the other things too, is you're getting, when you're taking it, just in a supplement form, you're only getting that one vitamin and you're not Mm -hmm. getting it in conjunction with all the other beneficial things and phytonutrients that come along when you. Mm -hmm. And they all work together when you get them in the the natural form. Right. It's kind of like the CBD of taking just the the whole flower. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all we'll probably say for that because we always talk about the importance of a whole food plant-based diet and you guys probably are well-versed in that. Um, but I think the next one that I would like to mention would be sleep. Yeah, sleep is huge. I think that's one thing that a lot of people neglect just in like today's time with everyone being so busy and commuting 30 minutes or more every day. Um, sleep kind of has been put on the back burner. But that it, when you sleep, that's like when your body resets and recovers and your body kind of like regulates everything that happened during the day and when you don't have that, that can lead to like increased cortisol, insulin resistance, just like a poor quality of life and like poor daily function. And then like, what is melatonin? Melatonin is an antioxidant and it's released from your pineal gland when you're sleeping. And it is, so it's part of your sleep-wake cycle. It's the sleep component of your sleep-wake cycle. And so the function of melatonin is to get your body ready for sleep. So when your eyes are exposed to red light, because when the sun is setting, that promotes red light and that lets your body know that it's nighttime, time for sleep. And that will get your body, start to get you sleepy. And then it will also suppress your cortisol. So your cortisol is the wake part of your sleep-wake cycle. So that's suppressed during sleep. And it also, melatonin also helps with um, antioxidants and has antioxidant antioxidizing properties as well. So in addition to getting your body ready for sleep, it also has those kinds of antioxidizing properties. So it's kind of interesting because 
I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but one thing I had researched in the past was looking at people who um, had did shift work and those who were awake during the night instead of during the day, they had chronically lower levels of melatonin. And it was actually in that population was also linked to higher levels of breast cancer and women, like especially nurses, they looked at a lot who were working night shift because your body isn't used to having to release melatonin during the day and not release it at night and suppress it at night. So that's just one side note or another important thing about melatonin. One of the other things too, that another study I was looking at that looked at the importance of sleep was looking at people who the duration of sleep and then the incidence of influenza diagnosis. And so they looked at people who slept between five and seven hours per night and it was a linear graph when they looked at the amount of time you slept and the rate of diagnosis of influenza. And they found that those who slept seven hours had statistically significant decreased likelihood of getting diagnosed with the flu versus those who slept five hours. And it was linear. So anywhere in along that spectrum, you would have a decreasing um, incidence from five to seven hours. So that was another thing that I thought was cool. And then another thing to kind of go along with sleep and the red light is like most computer screens, phone screens, TV screens, all emit blue light and blue light actually inhibits melatonin production. When you have like light come through your eye, it goes to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which inhibits melatonin production. Yes. Um, so that's why they say you should limit screen time like 30 minutes before you go to sleep. And if you have lights or anything from where you live, Try to block the windows and make it as dark as possible in the room because that kind of goes into something else that we'll talk about, which is your circadian rhythm. Transition okay. right over to it. Okay. So circadian rhythm, which is similar to your sleep-wake cycle, but your circadian rhythm is your body's natural rhythm throughout the day of like waking up in the morning and going to sleep at night. So one of the things for your circadian rhythm that you should do that has also been linked to health and longevity in the morning a good thing to do is get your body and your retinas actually exposed to sunlight. So everyone, I nev never do this, but a great thing to do in the morning when you wake up is just go outside and go for a short walk and let your body know that it's morning because you, that is starting to stimulate your body to get ready for the day. And you're getting that blue light from the sun, not from your device into your body, into your eye and letting you wake up. So that helps to kind of modulate your circadian rhythm, get you ready in the morning. And then it also exposes you to sunlight and to vitamin D. Um, so you get your vitamin D from the sun. Your body is able to process and convert vitamin D from the sun. And you only need 15 to 20 minutes in the sun every day to get enough vitamin D to not be deficient. But when you think about your exposure outside on a daily basis and also the amount of people in the United States that live in cold climates or don't really have mm -hmm. even exposure to sunlight during the day. A lot of times in the winter, you know, you'll go to work and it's dark and you leave work and it's dark. So we have about 40 to 50% of the United States population is actually deficient in vitamin D. Mm -hmm. So trying to get that sun and like make that conscious effort and it's also interesting because if you, if you're outside and you think that you're getting your vitamin D, but then a lot of times you'll have SPF on. So like if you 
all of our makeup and moisturizers that you would have on your face, which is usually the part of your body that's exposed to the sunlight that's not covered in clothing, um, you have that SPF on and it's inhibiting the absorption of your vitamin D. So if, if you can go outside for 15 minutes before you put any of that on, that can help to wake you up and also get you, get you your vitamin D. Obviously, we don't, I'm not promoting you to get skin cancer and not wear sunscreen, but just something to think about as well. Yeah, I think that would be a good, if you have the opportunity to do this, would be like every morning take a 10 or 15 minute walk before you start to do everything else you do to get ready. Like obviously that would be an ideal situation. Not everybody can do that, but um, yeah, everybody can do it now. Now's the time. Get all of your vitamin D now. Save it up for later. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. If you're looking at the actual circadian rhythm, the goal is to do get your body exposed to sunlight before 10 a.m. So it's not even that you have to do it very early in the morning. Yeah. 10 a.m. is still mid-morning. All right, so looking at vitamin D and the immune system, so I said 40 to 50% of Americans are deficient in vitamin D. So those who are deficient in vitamin D actually have increased risk for developing infection. And it was found that those who supplemented with vitamin D that word that started out as deficient had the best result in decreasing um, their incidence of infection. So what that basically means is if you are not deficient in vitamin D, if your levels are good, you're not going to see as much benefit from uh, supplementing or improving your vitamin D levels as those who are deficient to start out, which kind of makes sense. It's kind of intuitive to think like, yeah, if you don't need a recommended window. So already your body's already functioning on all cylinders and that, but again, vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin. So I would appreciate for you to not just start supplementing with vitamin D until you know what your vitamin D level is, but it is a common lab that's drawn by doctors at your annual physical just because so many people are deficient in it. So either check your vitamin D levels in your labs or ask your doctor if they can check them for you before you start to supplement. All right, so the next thing we'll talk about is stress reduction. Um, You can do it through like many different things, meditation, yoga. Everybody kind of has their own niche when it comes to reducing stress. But what's so bad about stress is when it becomes chronic you can have elevated cortisol levels and uh, that will lead to like a suppressed immune system. Another thing that is bad about um, elevated cortisol and a high stress level all the time is you can have a decreased ability of your T cells to work. And what T cells do is they're part of your immune system that goes in and targets the infected viruses and eliminates those. So it's kind of like your your army men that you send out to, to fight on the front lines. Yes. And this, uh, this is another smooth, smooth transition that we can make into talking about exercise. But I wanted to say, um, yo- so yoga, like Marcus said, is a really good way to work on your stress reduction and your meditation. And then also in conjunction with that, to reduce your isolation during our time of social distancing, there is a lot of free resources available to you online um, through either through Instagram or YouTube or um, Zoom like we're using right now. And one of the resources, 
I'm personally, I'm not a fan of yoga. I'm not very good at meditation, but highly recommended is called Yoga with Adrian, And she is on YouTube and has a lot of videos um, where you can do yoga for free. So you can utilize YouTube and other resources like that to look for guided meditations or yoga to help with your stress reduction um, practices during during COVID and then hopefully transition into supporting those businesses back in their mortar and pestle. No, that's not right. Brick and mortar Brick location. And mortar. <laughs> mortar yeah, and- you can tell you're a pharmacist for sure. <laughs> um, after COVID is done. So yes, transitioning that over into exercise, not only is yoga with Adrian available on YouTube, there are tons of different exercises available on YouTube. And I am a huge fan of pop sugar and I thought everyone knew about pop sugar, but it's the best YouTube. You wouldn't know because I think it's mostly for girls. Oh yeah. I was about to say, I have no (laughs) idea what it is. Well, you could check it out if you're looking to change up your fitness routine, but pop sugar fitness, they have 3000 different videos, fitness videos on there. They're all free. They're all there available all the time and they're in all different Um, groups. So if you like Pilates or if you have a kettlebell and you want to do a kettlebell workout, we did one like two weekends ago. It was a Tabata. It was like 40 minute, 500 calorie blaster. And it was Mm. so hard. It was really hard. I could not imagine trying to burn 500 calories in 40 minutes. It was really hard. I cheated. Um, (laughs) I would have had to for sure. So in the spirit of exercise. Exercise is really, really good to help you to release endorphins, to feel more connected to people, and to help you kind of get out of those feelings of isolation and loneliness, which we know also promote promote cortisol release, as Marcus said. But it also helps to mobilize millions and billions of cells throughout your body. So you are mobilizing cells in your immune system. And that actually increases the ability of those cells to do their job. So if those cells are, if their job is to locate viral pathogens, they're able to do that better. Um, And then the immune cells are able to fight those pathogens better. And it also helps to kind of get things, your lymphatic system moving and draining. So your lymphatic system doesn't drain on its own. You need to be able to, you need to move to get it to move. It's not like your circulatory system, which goes yeah. on its own. So moves your lymph, moves, mobilizes immune cells in your bone marrows and your spleen in your tonsils to get everything um, identified and healthier. So exercise has a myriad of important beneficial functions. And the other thing, I don't know if you saw this, but something came out the other day about like people running by each other or going closely when they're biking or walking. Um, And just try to keep in mind social distancing, even when you're walking, because even if what the study basically found was even if you're just briefly passing by someone, um, it was a like theoretical model at what they didn't actually use people, but they said that it could still pass. So just cross the like, opposite side of the road from someone. Was that like if you, if the person sneezes or coughs or is that just like. It just basically said like, if you bike by someone respiratory droplets. So biking was the furthest. It was 20 meters. So if you bike by someone, respiratory droplets can reach them from up to a distance of 20 meters. Wow. Yeah. But again, theoretical model. Yeah. 
So just a disclaimer to maintain social distancing, even if you're outside. Yeah, yell at people from the other side of the parking lot. Correct. Grounding? Do you want to talk about grounding next? Yeah, so I don't remember where I like, first heard the concept of grounding, but you get like a lot of positive ions from your phone or your computer and daily life in general. And the way that your body works, like if you have too many positive ions, then certain pathways in your body need a certain electrical charge, like different voltage-gated channels. And if your charges are off, then your body doesn't function as well as it used to. So the concept of grounding is that if you stand outside or like walk around barefooted, um, just like have some type of contact with the earth is how they raise it. Um, it can like counterbalance some of those positive ions and just restore your body to a more neutral environment as it's supposed to be. And they did a few studies with people who had like their beds grounded <laughs> by like, copper wires and these, so crazy. Yeah, these pads and everything. Um, and like, they found some pretty good evidence with it. So there was like, better sleep and reduced cortisol and everything like that. But I don't, I mean, that would be kind of scary if you, <laughs> if you were grounded during a <laughs> storm or something and you got shocked, but I don't think I'd go to that extreme, but definitely the walking outside that can kind of kill two birds with one stone. Um, actually three, if you did it early in the morning, you get your sunlight, your vitamin D and your ion counterbalance. Yeah. So the earth supposed apparently releases negative ions. So when you're barefoot on the bare earth, you're getting negative ions into your body. And like the people that are big proponents of grounding will say, you know, the, the soles of our shoes are rubber and rubber is Mm -hmm. the opposite of a conductor. An insulator? Insulator, that's the word. Opposite of a conductor. (laughs) Of an insulator. So your negative ion will stop at your foot and it's not actually getting in. So what I always do to ground, because, you know, you're, if you're, I live in the city, right? So to get to grass, you kind of have to walk there. So I will just sit on the ground. <laughs> and then yeah, that's a, hopefully a, the negative ions are going in through my, yeah. butt my butt. <laughs> that's probably a more socially acceptable way to walk around barefooted. Well, you can, if you have a yard, just go out in your yeah. yard barefoot. I just yeah. don't have a yard. Or just take a trip to the beach. Ooh, that's the best way. That's uh, like four birds with one stone. Yeah, that also, like our big. Our big message at the end is go to the beach. (laughs) Okay, let's see. What did we not cover? I think drinking water is just like pretty important in general. Yes, always staying hydrated. Important. I think I'm currently dehydrated, not drinking enough water. Yeah, I just had a full cup of water because I'm starting to get a headache. This is another thing I saw. There's this physiologist in California, and he talks about bouts of super stressful situations to help your body become adaptive. And that's like one to two minute ice baths or cold showers. And then like exercise is a form of stress on your body and it teaches your body to be adaptive and to overcome things. So that kind of goes back to the same thing with exercise. Um, And cold showers are like pretty miserable if you've Mm -hmm. ever had to take one. (laughs) So the guy said that they're super helpful, but that's one of those things that is on the extreme end. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people in the naturopathic world that are promoting the cold showers. I've never really yeah. done a lot of research on what they do. 
Um, but I guess it would make sense to put your body under extreme stress for a very short amount of time to help be able to become a- adapted to high stress. Yeah. I'm going to skip the cold showers. Um, what about alcohol? I just found this short article. So it talks about mTOR and they're saying that if you block mTOR, it promotes longevity and there are a bunch of different mechanisms. So mTOR is a protein that helps control several cell functions, including cell division and survival, and it binds to rapamycin and other drugs. mTOR may be active in some types of cancer cells or maybe more active in some types of cancer cells than it is in normal cells. And the theory behind blocking mTOR is that it may cause some cancer cells to die. Yes. And there are a few things that will actually lead to a reduction in mTOR. And those are calorie restrictions for one. Is, um, and, and isn't one of them intermittent fasting too? Yeah. So that's like a form of calorie, calorie restriction. restriction. Yeah. Okay. If you, if you fast for, or if you shorten your feeding window, like you pretty much have to reduce the amount of calories you eat just from a physiological standpoint. Sure. And then they found that alcohol in moderation can also reduce mTOR. And if you like red wine, that's like a double bonus because the polyphenols in red wine have also been shown to reduce mTOR. And they have a few animal model studies where they've shown that if you block mTOR, you can actually increase HDL, which is your good cholesterol, in like mice that have cardiovascular disease. Yeah, so mTOR in general, reduction of mTOR promotes longevity. And then high levels of mTOR is linked with inflammation. And then we know that inflammation affects how the immune system functions. So you want to not have chronically elevated inflammation. So keeping your mTOR levels appropriate is important. Um, And you get to drink red red wine. (laughs) Exactly. The big tip of the day is wash your hands. Oh my gosh, we should have started with that. Okay, well, it's even better. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. If you're going to wear gloves when you're out in public, take them off before you touch your car. Because if or your phone or your keys. Yes. Because if not, then anything that was on the gloves, it's just as might as well be on your hands. Yeah. Now it's all over. You know, what's funny is since all of this has happened, people are doing things that they should have been doing in the first place, like washing their hands and not touching their face. And I touch my eyes a lot which I now I touch my face like right here. I always like rest my hand right here. Just like that. Yeah. And I like have to like catch myself every time I'm about to do it. Yes. Wash your hands 20 seconds with warm water and soap. If you can't find any Purell, it doesn't matter. Warm water and soap works better anyways. Yeah. Sing happy birthday. Or if you have, if you're happy, you know, it, clap your hands two times. That's 20 seconds. Wipe down. Like if you do alcohol swabs or um, just regular rubbing alcohol, wipe down like your phone, your keys, yes. doorknobs, so uh, light switches. If you have the alcohol swabs, they're 70% isopropyl alcohol, and that is safe for your phone screen. I made sure before mm-hmm. I started wiping my phone screen with that every oh, I, I started to wipe one down. I didn't even check. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm, glad I'm safe there. Yeah, so 70% is okay but you don't want okay. to use anything higher. If you have 95% isopropyl alcohol, it's not good for your phone. Okay. Yes. So thanks for that r- reminder at the end there. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's like the most important one. Definitely. And if you, the, 
other thing that we always should say is if you have any symptoms of illness, make sure that you quarantine yourself and mm-hmm. let your doctor know because if you're sick, you want we want to make sure that we're getting you the proper proper care. So these are all really good strategies to help to keep you as healthy as you can be, but you never know, you might come into contact with someone, you might get sick, and we don't want you to end up getting unnecessarily sick. So make sure you let yeah. your doctor know if you feel any symptoms of illness so that we can get you the proper or you can get yourself the proper care. Yeah. And call in to doctor's offices. Don't just show up there because you want them to be able to take the proper precautions before you get there. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank thank you. Thanks for concluding us with our health and wellness tip of hand washing. Yeah. Tip of the day. Tip of the day. Bye. Bye.